Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. This story begins in 1981 with a boy and a girl born a month apart, halfway across the world from one another. And more than 40 years later, after growing up to become global icons from their ability to hit a fuzzy yellow ball, arguably the greatest tennis players of all time said goodbye to the sport less than a month apart. Over the next hour, our Tennis Channel experts will share their best stories and most vivid memories of Roger Federer and Serena Williams, both on and off the court. This is Honoring Legends, Roger and Serena. It all started with my parents, and they deserve everything. Of all the gifts that tennis has given me over the years, the greatest, without a doubt, has been the people I've met along the way. I wouldn't be Serena if it wasn't Venus, so thank you, Venus. I consider myself one of the most fortunate people on Earth. I was given a special talent to play tennis, and I did it at a level that I never imagined for much longer than I ever thought possible. It's been a fun ride, and I'm just so grateful to every single person that's ever said, go Serena, in their life. I have laughed and cried, felt joy and pain, and most of all, I have felt incredibly alive. To the game of tennis, I love you and will never leave you. Welcome to this very special show, Steve Weissman, alongside my friend and Roger Federer's former coach, Paul Anacone, one of the cavalcade of stars that we will have here discussing these two legends' evolution away from the sport. They spent two-plus decades revolutionizing, Paul. I'll tell you what, I was uh, hoping beyond hope that this day wouldn't come as a tennis fan, right? We want to keep cheering for Roger and Serena forever, but we just have to realize how lucky we, her we are and have been to have them for 20-something years, almost 30 years each between these two. So everything we can say about them isn't enough. Absolutely. Lucky to witness this greatness and also lucky to have a couple of former world number ones and major champions joining us, Caroline Wozniacki and Andy Roddick. Happy holidays. Hey, I'm excited for this show. Uh, like Paul said, I don't think there are enough superlatives. Uh, to, to cover these two in an hour-long show. But congrats to, to Grandpa Anacone, and I'm excited to be on a show with Caroline Wozniacki. <laughs> no, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me and wouldn't want to miss this. Um, I mean, two legends, and, and I get to hang out with you guys. So uh, <laughs> fun to be here. Uh, a great day to talk about Roger and Serena. Always a great day to talk about them. Andy, I'm going to start with you. How would you characterize the impact that these two had on the sport of tennis for 20-plus years? 
Well, I, I don't think you can. And they both did it in their own way. You know, it was Serena coming from Compton and opening tennis up to an entire country of, of minority girls and women and the impact that she had and, and the way that Roger went about his business where it's you don't have to go and punch someone in the nose just because you're number one in the world, right? They both went about it in their own ways with their own style, with their own personality. Uh, they were both very, very greedy with Grand Slam titles. Um, but gosh, what, what what we're so lucky to have had them uh, in the game of tennis, and and as Paul mentioned, for as long as we have, you know, they they made a twenty three career, a twenty three year career uh, seem normal simultaneously. It was just crazy. It, it, it certainly was, Caroline. You got to play Serena eleven times in your career, all but once. It was at least in the quarterfinals of a tournament. So these are big time matches, and, and rivals are not normally friends. How were you able to develop such a tight friendship with Serena? Probably because she beat me way too many times. No, but uh, but really, I think uh, the fact that, you know, she's just such a great person. She's not only, in my opinion, the greatest tennis player of all time, the greatest that I've ever played against. She pushed me and all the other women to play better and step up. Um, but also off the court, she's just so thoughtful. She's the first person, if I ever went through anything, she would be the first person to call, knock my door down, make sure that was okay. And, you know, I really appreciate that. She's... Um, She's given back so much, both on and off the court. And, and I think that's what makes her so special. And, you know, being at the same time as her playing, it's obviously, it was tough because there's a lot of tournaments that I feel like I, I could have probably won or, or grand slams that I could have won if she hadn't been in my way. But at the same time, what an honor to be there at the same time as her because I really got to play against, again, for me, the, the best player to ever have played this game and to push me and everyone else to get better and play longer and take care of your body and prove that you can do whatever you put your mind to and whatever your dreams are, they, they are, it's possible. She proved that. And, you know, I think um, it was incredible to, to just share the court with her, play against her um, and, and obviously gain a, a lifelong friend along the way. Uh, that's pretty special. We always hear about the dominance, but the thoughtfulness as well. Paul, you coach Roger 2010 to 2013, got him back to number one in the world, won a Wimbledon title. He obviously learned a lot from you. What did you learn most from Roger? Well, I think Andy kind of summed it up when he talked about realizing that being number one in the world didn't mean you have to punch people in the face, right? You didn't have to be obnoxious. You didn't have to rub people's nose in it. Um, one of the most amazing things about Roger Federer is I've never seen anyone that has loved a game like this for this long. You know, Caroline talks about greatness. Andy knows greatness as well. And when you're that great, like uh, Roger and Serena, expectation is so high. So you generally only make news when you lose. I've never seen a person that handles that adversity so well. Uh, Roger's graciousness and his humility, both in victory and defeat, is something that's really special. And again, it's all driven for me from what I understand about Roger is the love of the game. Mm. It sounds so cliche, but it's so very true for him. You got to love it if you're going to be at this level and be so great at it. Andy, uh, you've known these two for a really long time, since childhood for Serena Williams, and then obviously being a big rival of Roger Federer on tour, playing him multiple times and getting three wins. I got to get that in there for you, Andy. Uh, what, what made them great in their own special ways? Uh, different ways, right? Uh, Serena, it's this in, intense competitiveness. She had an ego about no one else going out and taking something from her, right? Every day, I feel like she approached her career as if someone was trying to take her lunch. Uh, just 
unbelievable competitor. The physicality with which she went about it uh, was just amazing. And the counterbalance was Roger. And, and he almost looked like a, like, like a ballet dancer or, you know, he went about it. The artistry we've seen before, they would, they used to do these slow-mo shots in Australia where they had this camera where the rest of us looked like we were making, you know, terrible faces, like bitter beer face, right? And then they would go on Roger and his cheeks were like soft still and that pissed me off. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, it, it, it's, it's funny because... I get asked, obviously, a lot about Roger, and, you know, I, I have no jealousy towards, I would have liked to have won one more tournament in my life, right? That's it. But he deserves everything he's gotten. The only source of jealousy that I have with Roger Federer is the ease of operation, right? I'd go through a practice, finish two and a half hours, I played every practice like I played a match, come off sweating, and walk by Roger's court, and he, like Paul said, he's enjoying the game, right? He's messing around, he's smiling, he's going through the paces, he's getting his work done, uh, but still in like a responsible way, not like a joking around as if he's not getting his work done. The ease of operation is unlike anything I've ever seen uh, from one of the greats. Can't wait to hear more stories about Serena and Roger from all of you coming up on this show. We've got an hour to honor the legends, Roger Federer and Serena Williams. We'll hear from the entire tennis world as they talk about the legends. Plus, these three join us later in the hour with their own memories and perspective. John Wertheim, Taylor Townsend, Prakash Amitraj. Much more to come. We will count down all of the major titles for Serena and Roger. Yes, it's just an hour show, but we'll do it. And a special edition of Best of the Best dedicated to the two legends. Don't go anywhere. family. Game, set, match. There it is. She is the 2002 U.S. Open champion. And he adds the Australian crown to his Wimbledon trophy. Roger Federer has won the U.S. Open for the first time. Again. Emotion overcomes him as he takes his 10th Grand Slam Championship. And it's another special day in the special life of a special champion. The green has come through. The package is now complete. Serena is the Wimbledon champion once again. From 1999 to 2018, there are the objective numbers that you just saw, and then there is the subjective legacy that they leave. Combine the facts with how they make you feel. That's what makes up the great GOAT debate. And fans of Roger and Serena will certainly argue that their player is the greatest of all time. But seeing them on court together was one of the great moments of all time. New Year's Day 2019 playing against each other in the Hopman Cup. 
led to this epic selfie. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, it's also worth a combined $1.5 billion in total earnings. When we come back, Caroline Wozniacki and Andy Roddick rejoin the show with more insights and stories into Queen Serena. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to Honoring Legends, Roger and Serena. And if this was indeed her final farewell, Serena Williams showed the vintage fight that characterized her entire career. Pushing herself until the end, it was Serena's longest match ever at the U.S. Open in a career that spanned a quarter century. The tennis world honors Serena Williams. When I started to play tennis, when I first started to watch tennis on TV a little bit, Serena was already at the top of the game and uh, winning Grand Slams, and uh, I was like six years old. I think over 20 years ago when Serena started playing tennis, I don't think anyone would have expected her to play into her 40s. Chasing history, I think that became a really big part of the story of Serena. She loved proving everybody wrong. She absolutely had the greatest presence I have ever seen on a tennis court power of her game. Every time she walked on a tennis court, you knew this was the greatest. Serena Williams, what a performance. Serena was very important to making tennis more popular around the world and certainly bringing more attention to it from minorities. I mean, when you saw this black girl playing who was so powerful, who was so dominant, she has reached out and touched people and influenced people's lives, especially young girls, and encouraged them to compete on equal terms. We had a whole new set of fans. I could see a change at all the tournaments and the excitement level. If I had one message for Serena, you're an absolute inspiration and motivation to millions of people worldwide. You actually inspire kids to believe in themselves and achieve something very special if they put their mind to it, no matter where you're from. When you go around the world, you don't even have to mention tennis. If you just said Serena to anybody, anywhere, you're almost certainly going to have that person finish your sentence, Williams? She's sort of like a Michael Jordan or like a Wayne Gretzky and uh, Roger Federer, where she's just um, sort of transcends the sport. She's that powerful, she's that popular, uh, she's meant that much to, to so many. I think it's very appropriate that, uh, you know, her last tournament comes at the U.S. Open when she decides, and I hope that she really gets the goodbye that she deserves. If I had one message for Serena Williams, it would be congratulations on the most incredible career. Big thank you for what you gave to this sport. A one-name superstar, nothing but respect for all of these remarkable achievements. You know about the major titles, 23, most in the open era, held all four majors a couple of times. 365 wins at Grand Slams and 319 weeks at number one in the world. 
Some of the things that Serena Williams did on court we will never see again, and we welcome back a couple of legends in their own right, Andy Roddick and Caroline Wozniacki, to discuss more about Serena Williams. Uh, Carol, I'm going to start with you because you played her a whole bunch of times. Uh, there's the aura when she takes the court. There's the serve. We heard Billie Jean King say the greatest, whether it's guys or, you know, women. What do you think was the toughest thing about playing Serena Williams? Well, I think, first of all, as a young girl, I mean, Serena and Venus, both of them were, you know, at the top of their game. They were winning grand slams. They were dominating the tour. And then for me, being a young girl coming up and playing against Serena, I remember very clearly my first time I played her in Sydney. I had match points and she ended up winning and I was devastated. I was like, I had a big chance of of beating a legend in the game. Many people didn't think she was going to, you know, play this late into her career. Ten of her 23 majors were after she turned 30, the last one being 2017 at the Australian Open. Uh, how do you think she was able to accomplish that, all that, after turning 30 years old? Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. Obviously, Caroline uh, has been very close to Serena, uh, you know, in the la latter parts of of their current lives. But I, I knew Serena when she was nine, 10 years old, even in our early twenties, when uh, I kind of broke out on tour, we would spend a lot of time together. And I, I never thought she would play past 26, 27. I'm interested to hear if she mentioned that to Caroline uh, as they kind of went on together, but she was always like, I'm out when I, when I'm 30, this is too much. But she had almost this healthy ego, right? It's like, even if she wanted to walk away, she couldn't stand the thought of someone else getting those Grand Slam titles. And then as I think those titles grew on each other, all of a sudden the all-time lead was in sight, passing, you know, Chrissy and Martina and, and, and Steffi. Once those things became real, I think it was, uh, you know, foot on the gas and she was going to go after it. Uh, but just just such physical dominance. And I was always amazed by you come out and you can see that's just a blunt force trauma that she would put on the tennis ball, right? These huge swings. And as Caroline was saying, these return winners. But then it was kind of mixed with this subtle fluidity, right? The way she moved. And then that serve, the rhythm she was able to create on the serve where it almost looked poetic, but then the rest of her game looked like Tyson walking out and just trying to beat your head off in the first like 12 seconds of a fight. It was this insane mix of kind of artistry and physicality that was, it was always fun to watch, even from when she was nine years old. Artistry and physicality, that's really well put, Andy. And Caroline, when you think about the last time she won a major, 2017, the Australian Open, playing against her sister, probably her greatest rival in her life, and then to learn that she was pregnant with Olympia during that match. When did you find out? When did she tell you that she was pregnant? Well, she knew she was pregnant before going into the tournament. And so, you know, I think it was just so special for her, that mindset that you have all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm pregnant. I have a child in my belly. I'm playing here. Am I going to be able to come back after having a baby? Will I not? Obviously, she's Serena, so she could, she was like, I can do whatever I want to do, and I, I can still play my best tennis after. But I think, you know, being around her family and, and just having that calmness, and you can see Alexis, too. Everyone knows the secret, or at least her closest family knows her secret at this point. And I think that's what makes this so, so special, you know, being able to share that. And you know, I think just if we talk about, just like you were saying, Andy, it was like playing Mike Tyson in his prime. You know, as Serena was Serena. I had so many tough matches against her. I only managed to beat her once. I was close on many occasions, but she would always step up and, and you know, kick my butt. Andy, we have heard from Serena and the fact that she says, recently, I I'm not retired. She recently posted a, a, a photo of a tennis racket. It says, I'm a little bored. Do you think we're going to see Serena Williams back playing professional tennis again? 
I don't think so. I think the idea of it is nice. And I think the thing that kills her is she actually played pretty well at the U.S. Open. You know, I feel like she was maybe a set and a half for really turning the corner, uh, you know, and, and, and making something of that tournament in a, in a big, big, big way. And it shows you kind of the the long uh, shadow of expectation that she's created for herself where, you know, the dummy talking heads like me on TV on Sunday are going, gosh, I hope she just goes out and plays well in the first round. It's a winnable match, but she hasn't played that great. She's barely played tennis in the last, you know, year and couple months. So we went from saying, gosh, I hope she wins a match. And it's kind of a nice experience for everyone to before the third round, you turn on the TV and it's as if she's the favorite again. And, you know, that that's a testament to, to kind of the shadow that she created uh, over time. And, you know, we started this segment or this conversation piece by saying, uh, you know, she won a, a, the slam and we found out later she was pregnant. Um, Caroline is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, number one in the world. You know, I was good at times and we both won as many slams as Serena Williams did pregnant. <laughs> that, that, that's fair. Uh, Caroline, real, real quick. What, what, yes or no. Do you think we're going to see Serena again or is this it? I don't think so. If she plays an exhibition, I, I think that would be lucky. But uh, I don't think we'll see her back playing on tour. I think she has so many things going on. I think she loves the game so much. It's, you know, it's been her life for so many years. But at the same time, I mean, she's busy. I, I'm trying to track her down now. She's in Miami here this week. So I'm like, let's let's grab coffee. Let's grab a drink, dinner. Um, she has a million things going on. But um, I don't think we'll see her on on a professional tennis court again. All right. Well, uh, Caroline, Andy, stick around. We will have much more from those two about Serena and, of course, Roger Federer as well. We'll see where the evolution takes her, but her contribution will last for generations. Serena Williams up next. John Wertheim joins us to talk about the business angle. We're talking Roger, Serena, and all the Benjamins that they earned. As a tennis player, always being constantly thinking about your next practice, your next match. Uh, it never lets you go. Uh, your next travel, your next packing. Um, I, I don't think I was that much aware of it, how much it, uh, that thought is always there and it rides with you. Now, until you retire, then you realize, well, that stress all drops away. The way you actually feel quite lighter, <laughs> relieved that you can actually live normally again, you know, after 25 years. What are the chances that we get to see you play again? I'm gonna cry asking. <laughs> well, the chances are very high. You come to my house, I got a court. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, Serena, and all those Benjamins. Take a look at this. Serena, one of only two athletes on Forbes' list of richest self-made women. $450 million, her career on-court prize money, more than double the next highest. And Roger Federer, one of seven athletes to earn a billion dollars while active in their careers. To further discuss these two legends, we welcome in our good friend from 60 Minutes and Sports Illustrated, John Wertheim. Happy holidays, John. It is great to see you. And uh, despite, John, only playing in the Labor Cup, Roger Federer, still the highest-earning tennis player in the world, $90 million in endorsements. Serena, $35 million off-court. What makes their brand such a business empire? It's a great question, and it's something that's grown as they've grown. They've sort of aged into their brands, and 
you are getting something when you partner with Roger Federer, when you root with Roger Federer, you are getting something with Serena Williams too. And those two things are very different. I think it speaks well of tennis that it can accommodate these two sensibilities. Obviously, Roger is sort of predicated much like his tennis on a level of, of elegance and grace and, and beauty. Um, Serena's, as you can see, it, it's a little bit more diverse. I mean, Serena has a very different fan base from Roger Federer. And it's funny, in some ways, these are two very similar athletes. They were born a few weeks apart. They won almost the same number of majors, their career almost down to the week. They left the stage almost at the same time. And yet in other ways, they approach the sport so differently. And that reflects in, in the brands they represent and the image that they portray are very different. John, you wrote a book on psychology and behavioral science and athletes. How would you compare the personality traits with Roger and Serena? Um, they, they, at least in terms of competition, they take very different approaches. And Roger always wanted to be this, this benevolent despot. He told Tennis Channel several times he really had to sort of warm to this idea of rivalry. He wanted everything to run smoothly. He didn't want any sort of counterinsurgencies. He was the king, and he wanted everyone in the kingdom to get along just fine. Um, Serena took a very different approach to, uh, again, we'll, we'll stick with our regal uh, theme here. I mean, Serena took a very different approach to challenges to her supremacy. I mean, she, she wanted to crush rebellion and she didn't want rivals and she wanted to, and in fact did beat everyone that came in her path. I mean, you think about who was Serena's great rival? Well, it was kind of sort of her sister, but that was fraught because it's, it's blood. It was kind of sort of Maria Sharapova, but that was wildly lopsided. There, there really wasn't a rival. As we look forward, what do you envision for the next chapter for both Roger and Serena? I'm not sure they know. I'll tell you something. Ironically, they both spent time in New York recently. As we mentioned, we talk about how Rogers earned more than a billion dollars, Serena almost half a billion. Very little of that comes from their actual tennis winnings. I think it's about 130 million from Roger Federer. So, so barely 10% actually came from tennis. Same for Serena. These are athletes who really are brands. Serena's venture capital fund is something that she'll be turning a lot of attention to. I think what's going to be interesting to see is what their relationship with tennis is going to be. Um, there's a there's a vast spectrum. There are some former champions who are very much still part of the sports fabric. There are others, Steffi Graf and, and uh, Pete Sampras are two examples that spring to mind, that have virtually nothing to do with tennis. Uh, happy holidays, John. Always great to get your insight. You as well. Couch is a big one here. Indeed. When we come back, much more Paul and Andy return as we get even more insight into what made Roger Federer the legend that he was. Welcome back to Honoring Legends, Roger and Serena. In late November, Roger Federer returned to the major where he made the most winning memories. The eight-time Wimbledon champion was back on the grounds of the All England Club with the caption, nice to see you again. Well, Roger's peers had plenty of nice things to say about him. Roger. What more can you say? I mean, the guy is just an absolute legend. The legend, Roger Federer. As a whole, he was the best player to ever pick up a racket and the most natural tennis player I think the sport will ever see. There's nobody more fun to watch than Federer and no one who could come up with the shots he could, could come up with. Oh, can you believe it? looks like he's doing everything without effort, you know, like it's just really smooth when he's playing and the fact that he loves the game, I think that's the secret. He loves to play tennis. 
he was just everyone's idol growing up, one of my idols growing up. He just embodies like tennis. Me as a kid, I was just in front of the TV with my eyes uh, glued to the TV. He'll be best known for how he conducted himself, not only in interviews and with the media, but I think more importantly with his peers in the locker room. Definitely the most well-liked player of all time, and, and rightfully so. He's such a fun guy to be around. He knows everything about tennis. It's pretty crazy. We were practicing, and he asked me, he's like, what do you rank, like, like 41 or something like that? And, and I was like, he actually knew like exactly what number I was ranked. You guys, you fill the stadiums. You make me nervous. You make me go out and practice. And uh, just like to thank you for everything. Roger, I think everyone misses him already, but hopefully we can see him again on a, on a tennis court. Tennis already misses Roger, but his legacy is going to live on for a long, long time. So that's going to be a very sad day once he departs because he was uh, he was the best of the best. I think it's going to be a huge hole that might be almost impossible to to fill. It's the biggest hope, I think, of most people in the sport that he'll stay active in the sport, he'll be involved, he'll come around, he'll have some kind of role and be some kind of part of it because I'm not sure tennis will recover once it loses Roger. He's interested in other people, he's interested in other things that go on in life other than a little fuzzy tennis ball. So when he stops hitting that little fuzzy tennis ball for a living, it's going to be a sad day for all of us and I'm pretty sure it's going to be a pretty happy day for him. Well, you heard it from the man himself. He will never leave us, and we are certainly grateful for that. The Maestro's finale, all of the remarkable things that Roger Federer was able to do on a tennis court, from the titles to the money to the wins to the weeks at number one. Incredible stuff. Ballet movement meeting the power of a ballistic missile. Roger Federer on a tennis court. Steve, Paul, and Andy back with you. Uh, Andy, you were able to play, Roger, 24 times, four times in major finals. What, what was the most difficult part of playing Roger Federer? Uh, game planning for me. You know, he, he basically made it so that to be number one in the world, you couldn't have holes in your game, right? And if you did, he would surgically find them. And he had such variety that he could find it. He knew that I couldn't hit topspin on my back end. So I saw that little chip down to it, kind of daring me to either come forward on something that wasn't great or stay in a rally which also wasn't great he kind of created the thing where you know you had to be complete you had to play outside of your comfort zone you had to up your risk profile and play a way that you know not didn't really make him that uncomfortable but made you completely uncomfortable and sustain it for four and a half or or five hours um you know his ability to kind of take the wind out of your sails uh mentally and physically and by physically i mean you throw one down at 140 and his, his swing is about this long, and you're at neutral. That is a depressing place to be for an afternoon. Um, and, and all the while, he's not going to give you anything emotionally. You know that you know you're, you're pro you have an uphill batter battle outside of a puncher's chance. So game planning, I tried absolutely everything, none of which was a good idea. Depressing for the opponent, but uh, pretty exciting if, if you're sitting in the player box, Paul, like you were for uh, many years. Everybody talks about Roger looking effortless. It makes tennis look so easy. But you saw 
the hard work that he put in off the court, in practice, everything else. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think that that's almost unfortunate because people thought that it came so easily he didn't ever have to do anything. Well, I can tell you firsthand the training sessions in Dubai preseason after the U.S. Open with Pierre Paganini and Severin Luti, uh, it was very strategic. He spent a ton of time in the gym. He spent a ton of time on the practice court. And one of the things I found most interesting with Roger is the first time I met him, we talked about doing something, and I asked him to do it, and he said, why? And I said, what do you mean, why? And he goes, well, when I was a kid, everyone used to call me the why man. I'm happy to do it, but you have to tell me why and how does it fit into my game. And that mantra lasted from the day he started to the day he stopped as a professional tennis player. Happy to learn. Let me know how and why it fits in. And then he creates the problems that Andy talked about to his opponent. So it's been fun to, fun to watch, and it's going to be really sad that uh, he's not going to be around anymore on the competitive courts. But he'll be around, he told us. That's, that's right. He's not, he's not leaving the why, man. I, I, I like to hear that, Paul. Um, Andy, the, the last major, the 20th major that he won was at the Australian Open. He, he took out Marin Cilic, and that was back in 2018. 20 major titles. He also won the ATP Sportsmanship Award. 13 times. We heard in that piece how beloved he was. What's your best story of Roger's grace? Um, yeah, it was. Listen, the, the the worst day of my life was the way our tennis life was was the best day of his uh, professional career up until that point. It was the 09 Wimbledon final when he passed uh, another guy that Paul knows pretty well named Pete Sampras on the all time uh, slams win. Um, you know, so I'm obviously in the locker room. In the locker room, it's like a large bedroom. You can see the people on the other side of the room. It's an awkward uh, existence the last day of a tournament. And obviously, I'm breaking down in the locker room. It took all I had to kind of keep it together uh, on court um, in the postmortem of that match. But uh, I still remember to this day um, this moment of grace where he walks in. He sees that I'm kind of, you know, in, in a place where on opposite ends of the emotional spectrum. And I'm kind of having a breakdown and uh, I, I see his team come in and they give him like little fist bumps. And, you know, he, I can see another corner of my, I don't begrudge anyone their happiness. Obviously they should be celebrating, but I remember him kind of out of the corner of my eye, I see him point towards the door and say, let's go, let's get out of here. They didn't come back for an hour plus. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people have that human awareness, especially when they're uh, in one of the biggest moments of their lives to kind of let me have my space that I needed. I couldn't go anywhere. I was a dribbling mess. So it's not as, easy for me to walk down the hallways it was for him at that moment and so um it's those little things it was unspoken and you know we didn't really have to talk about it I think I told him about it you know five years later and thanked him when when I retired but uh there were a lot of those moments they, you know, it's, it's something as as big as a gesture as like that or you know someone we're we're pigs as tennis players in the locker room just throwing stuff everywhere we're all disgusting I I watched him I don't know how many hundreds of times someone would you know, undo a grip tape and leave it on the floor. And as he was walking by, he'd pick it up and and put it in the uh, in the trash bin. And not to make a show or to upend anyone, that person could have been gone for for ten minutes just because that's probably what you should do. That's amazing. I mean, a lot of the stuff about humility we talk about and think about, and all those words sound wonderful. But Andy gave you a couple of good examples. I can talk to you about his foundation and his trips to Africa, what he's done to try to help uh, down there the underprivileged kids. And and one of the one of the interesting too is is partnerships that he has. You know, the first year I was with him, we were a tournament in Toronto, and he said, "Paul, can you in the morning? I want you to go in a different car with Severin." I've got some people here I want to take in my car over to practice. So we get to practice, and he goes, okay, bring two chairs on the court. And I go, why? And he goes, it's for a little sponsorship deal that I have with people in Switzerland. 
and that bring two chairs on the court. And he goes, I want to host them today. I want to bring them to my press conference the day with the media, take them around the grounds, let them practice. We went through the whole day. They never left, a father and a son. And I said to Roger, I said, wow, that was really nice. So I get on the phone and call his agent, Tony Godsick. And I said, Tony, you did an unbelievable job. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I told him what happened. And Tony goes, I had no idea they were even in Canada. <laughs> he just did that by himself. And that's one of about 40 stories like that. He just treats people how you want to be treated. Doesn't matter who you are, where you are. The humility and the grace that he has was taught by his parents, and that's never going to go away. Yeah, I got to interview him one time. He made me feel like I was his best friend. <laughs> I mean, that's the type of guy that he was. And we will continue to honor Roger Federer and Serena Williams here on Tennis Channel. Much more still to come. We will hear from Prakash Amitraj. We will hear from Taylor Townsend about how she was inspired to play the game of tennis from Serena Williams. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. They are true royalty in England. Roger and Serena combined to win 15 Wimbledon singles titles. And in three years, they were the bell and bow of the champion's ball. In 2003, 2009, and 2012, Roger and Serena both lifted the trophy at the All England Club as we welcome you back into the studio. Steve Weissman now alongside tennis royalty of his own right, Prakash Amitraj. Great to see you, Prakash. Great to see you, Steve. Variety of reasons. I absolutely could not miss this. Absolute honor to be here to celebrate. Absolutely. And we have even more great guests to join us today. How about current WTA player, Tennis Channel contributor, Taylor Townsend, joining us from the court as well. Uh, happy holidays, Tay. Thank you, guys. I just, you know, just finished practice. Couldn't miss this opportunity to talk to you, Steve, as always. And P, this is the first time we're in the studio together. And, so and not the last, T. And not the last. I got to say, you're <laughs> glowing over there. Cannot wait to see what 23 looks like for you. <laughs> yeah, it's that vacation glow, but I'm dying now. <laughs> Taylor, let's, let's, let's talk about Serena Williams here. And, and just uh, what type of inspiration she was to you growing up? Would there be a Taylor Townsend without Serena Williams? Um, probably not, honestly. I think the biggest impact that both Serena and Venus have had on my life as well as my older sister we both played you know growing up was the representation and I think that that's just so important being able to understand and see someone doing what you want to do seeing someone who looks like you accomplishing things that seem almost unimaginable from where you come from and them being from Compton me being from the south side of Chicago where there aren't that many professional athletes coming from those places it just was so inspiring and to be able to see the dominance um it was just something that I can't explain and I'm I'm going to be forever grateful to both of them and Prakash, as somebody who grew up in the same time period as Roger Federer and during college and when you were on tour, getting to see him pass Pete Sampras in that record book, 14, obviously Roger went on to 20 major titles. What was that like for you to see him pass him in such a short period of time? Well, first you have to look at the, the history of the game and what Pete meant to it. Look, I was born in 1983, so I literally grew up with Pete Sampras. But I'm old enough to understand what Roy Emerson meant to the game, what Rod Laver meant to the game. And everyone was chasing them for so long. But so to see Pete come along and get that 14th Grand Slam title, no one thought he was going to be surpassed for quite some time. I mean, Pete was the guy up on all of our walls, all of our posters. And then not too long later, Roger comes and beats him at the most historic site on the most historic court. 
surpasses those 14 Grand Slams within six, seven years. But on top of all of that, he's always been a true study of the game. He loves the history, he loves the sport, and he understands it all. So to be able to have all that and then come in and break those records, <laughs> I think makes it e even more significant. Taylor, it's rare that we get to, to play against our heroes, right? And you got that opportunity mm -hmm. a couple years ago, a doubles match, a final in New Zealand, taking on Serena mm -hmm. Williams and Caroline Wozniacki. What was that like for you, being on the same court but the opposite side? You know, I actually went into that match totally different because I played Serena in 2014, second night match on Ash um, at the U.S. Open. And so when we played, I was so pumped and I was just like, ah, I have something to prove. Like, I'm not going to be scared. I'm not going to be like, you know, nervous. I'm just going to go out and go for it. And Asia and I just played so well and we just had so much fun. But it was such an amazing opportunity to share the court with both Serena and Caroline. What are some things that, that she was able to impart on you on court uh, in the post game or, you know, during the time when you played singles against her? <laughs> Serena keeps a lot of things to the chest, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, being able to share the court with them and, and have the feeling that like you can compete and that you belong there, I think is the biggest thing. So playing against someone like Serena, who has been so legendary in the game and someone like Caroline, who's won Grand Slams, who's been number one in the world, being on the court with them, being able to handle what they're giving me, I felt like, okay, like, cool, I got this. So it just gives you an opportunity. So maybe not so much advice, but really just on court, being able to put yourself in those situations and feeling like I can compete at this level with these players. And I've played both Serena and Caroline in singles and doubles. So, you know, it was an opportunity and it was kind of like a, a little hurdle for me to feel like, hey, you know, you're doing something, you're on the right track. So, you know, it's, it's kind of invaluable, honestly. Absolutely. Proving that you belong. Uh, Prakash, you always do such a fantastic job with all of your interviews, and there have been some special ones, especially with Serena Williams. We take you back right now to Rome in 2019. Listen to this. Three, two, one. Serena, it's been about 53 days since your last match. You haven't had too much of a chance to practice on that knee, but you look great out there. How'd you feel? Um, I felt... See, this is this is this is what I get. Okay, okay. I promise. Okay, here we go. <sighs> okay, here we go. I'm sorry. I know him for I know him for This is tough. Okay. I mean, listen. This is not how Serena does interviews, Prakash. I mean, you bring out. Stuff that, that nobody else gets out of her. Tell us about your personal relationship with Serena and, and why mm -hmm. that is what the interview ended up being. Every time, I'm trying to be as professional <laughs> as I possibly can. But the problem is we've had, we've had so many fun times together. And look, you know what? What you're seeing there from Serena is so much of what you get from her in a nutshell. When, when she's not having that, you know, that, that, that warrior goddess armor that she has on when she's on the court, she's the one making you crack up all the time. I mean, the first time we all got really close was, you know, we were at a party at her house God knows how many years ago, and we were really just kind of hanging out and partying for the first time, karaoke and all that. Next thing you know, it was sunshine. We had stayed all day, and then we just all kind of just clicked and just became like family after that. And, you know, you just realize that when you, when you have those kind of, those values and those traits that you connect with that you don't see very often, it's a, it's a rare thing, it's a special thing, and w one of the many reasons why Serena and the whole family is, is so special.
Well, we both look forward to hopefully interviewing Taylor Townsend this coming up year, right? After she wins some big time matches hey, and titles. Taylor, you get that request from us. You better not say no. You better say, I'm coming up to the desk. Come on. We are doing an interview. Come on, guys. I mean, I never turned down an opportunity to come on the desk. I mean, my gosh. But I just really <laughs> want to know what Prakash said to Serena before the camera started rolling. It was definitely something said. <laughs> I, I, I'll text you later, T. I'll text you later. Yeah. yeah Prakash and Serena <laughs> are like me and Yute doing TikToks. I mean, it's just, it goes off the rails. See? <laughs> see? There we go. Nobody wants to see my TikTok drafts. Happy holidays. Happy New Year, Taylor. Best of luck in 2023. When we come back, much more on the Legends. 176 combined singles trophies, 43 in Grand Slams. We will show you their final moments of glory coming up next. Incredible. That's just big hitting there. Oh, that's an amazing point. Oh, my goodness. Mark that down for best of the best. Pirouette half volley from Azarenka and the response from Serena. Oh. How about outrageous even by his standards? Well, he was only able to do it because it was like he couldn't really be bothered to move his feet no. in the right place. Look at that. Flick of wrist between the legs. But some pace. Yep. Bang. Serena, applauded by Azarenka, who must have thought that she snuck that over the net and Serena was not going to get there. This is, you know, he gets back, and you know, that's a dangerous shot anyway, Lee. You know, I don't want to be trying that, but he just hits a rocket. And when you're at the net up there, it's hard to see where that ball's going. Del 
In any language, that is just nightmare fuel for Andy Roddick, Paul. I mean, the best of the best. How about that? That's just amazing stuff just to watch the different ways in which they go about greatness. And the last one, unfortunately for Andy, was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And Andy talked about Roger floating. That was a floating overhead with his kind of back to the net. Haven't seen that one before. Andy, tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just had the same reaction that I had 20 years ago. That's just <laughs> stupid that someone can actually do that on a on a tennis court. But just watching those highlights back, it's, they make impossible things look simple, right? Like hitting a passing shot and falling into a full splits, like that's what's supposed to happen on a Tuesday. That makes no sense. Roger being kind of in stride when he's anything but, like the one he hit between the legs uh, in, in that Doha clip. It's all those little adjustments that seem, you know, they make it look easy in real time. And then you go back and watch the slow-mo. You're going, oh, that's insane. There was more, way more to that shot than I thought there was. It's just, I watch it. It's just, it's just insane. It's ridiculous. Uh, Caroline, you got to be there with Serena when she won her last singles title a couple years ago in New Zealand. Her 73rd singles title. Incredible stuff. First as a mom, Olympia was there. What was that like? Well, it was awesome. Um, I think it was my last tournament. We played doubles together. She uh, she won the tournament. It was an overall fun week. Um, you know, we went out for dinners and she, I don't think anyone had thought that this would be her last tournament win. I think we all had thought that she would have more and maybe a couple more slams. But at the same time, you know, I, I think you can see how happy it makes her. She loves to win. She hates to lose. And, and I think this was a very special win for her, especially after Olympia, having her there, having the family there. I think that makes it just that extra sweet. And for Roger Federer, it was a few years ago in Basel, the home tournament, Paul, where he was able to get his 10th title there, 103rd overall. Just amazing. I remember early in Roger's career talking to him about trimming his schedule down. Guess one thing he was never going to trim out of his schedule that tournament where he was raised, where he grew up. He loves the Swiss people, loves being there. That week I was there a bunch of times with him. Pizza parties for the kids, taking care of the ball people, inviting guests in for practices. It's, uh, it's quite a unique thing to be in Switzerland with Roger Federer. Yeah, it's got to be a nice leap from having been a ball kid at that exact court, at that exact tournament, to then win your 10th title when the court has actually been named after you for like a decade. Uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing. I remember being the first ever Davis Cup team that I was on as an active player. There was a guy ranked like 30 in the world, and it's the first time I saw this Swiss guy play in person, and he absolutely dominated our team. I think that was in 01 in January. And my goodness, and it was on that court, and you could see how much it meant to him then. He was still trying to prove himself kind of a similar emotion to what we saw when he won his last tournament there, right? He never kind of lost that, that human emotion that was very apparent uh, when, when he won. You, you could almost see like a sense of relief when he, when he won there for, uh, he obviously didn't know it was going to be the last time, but a lot of similarities, even though 21 years between those memories for me. He said after that win, at heart, I'm always going to be a ball boy. Uh, just the love of the sport for both Roger Federer and Serena Williams. It's been a pleasure having all of you with us today to honor these two legends. Wish you uh, happy holidays and looking forward to 2023, Caroline and Andy. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Thanks, Steve. And, of course, Paul, and, and you get to, to see your, your little... Little grandkid coming yep, up soon. Yep, get to see the granddaughter. So safe, happy holidays to everyone and uh, enjoy it. Absolutely. Uh, happy holidays to everyone out there in the spirit of giving. Roger and Serena gave so much to our sport.
Thank you for joining us on this special honoring legends Roger and Serena two careers unrivaled and legacies that will continue to grow. Serena and Roger are names that shall forever define greatness. Thank you Roger and thank you Serena from all of us. Enjoy the holidays.